Good morning. It's a pleasure to have you in our service. It's a joy to be here in fellowshipping and serving the Lord. Amen? And uh, worshiping Him. It's, it's a tremendous privilege for us to be able to do this. Now, today I'm going to begin a series of messages that I have entitled... Uh, can we have as many of the lights off as we can, please, to help a little? I've entitled the series, A Biblical Perspective on Current Social Moral Dilemmas. And if you think carefully, we've got a lot of them going on right now in our society. Now, for those of you who are in any way familiar with what's going on in the world, and in fact right here in the Bahamas as well, if you are thinking, and you say, I think that's one of our problems, even as Christians, not too many of us are thinking biblically the way we should, in relationship or response to what is happening in our society. We seem to go with the flow, as it were. But it's quite a formidable endeavor to be able to address all of these situations that we face today that uh, impact our Christian life, our beliefs, our convictions, in fact, our morality. And so we're going to be dealing with this over a period of time, dealing with many aspects of the dilemmas that we face as Christians and how we should respond to it. Today, I'm beginning the series with what I've called The Human Difference. The Human Difference. Because I believe when it comes right down to the bottom line, That if we truly think it through carefully, most of the moral dilemmas we face today revolve around one issue. And that's the issue I'll be talking about. The issue can be answered or can be asked in this way, who is man? Or to make it more personal, who am I? Now you say, man, people have been asking that question for centuries. And they're still asking it. That's right. But not too many are answering it. And those who do, don't live out the implications of their answer, especially as Christians. And so in my opinion, for the thoughtful and thinking Christian, or anyone else for that matter, the answer to these questions, who is man, who am I, or what is a human being, the answer to these questions are really at the core of most of the social and moral issues we are facing in our society today. Undoubtedly, however, as we tend to get so wrapped up in trying to respond to what we see and what we hear, especially in the media, we get so wrapped up in the peripheral, the minor things, the trees, that we forget the major issues and what really is at the core of things. And we get to the point of only answering what we see on TV or hear in the news or read in the newspapers. 
And I want to, under, I want to underline and, and, and emphasize as believers. As believers, we have the supreme privilege of being able not only to see what is happening in the world, but to understand why it is happening. But because we refuse to take the Bible the way we claim to take it, our response to these things are normally worldly rather than spiritual. You see, we become so media-driven that we forget that we are to be driven in our actions by the word of God. Now, I believe that you probably have had time to see that these things I'm saying are true in the Terry Schiavo case. If I were to ask you what's your opinion on that, we'd probably get 50 different opinions from Christians as well. Why is that? It's because we're only looking at and responding to the information we can get. And that's the point. Where are you getting the information from? Who are the sources of the information that you're responding to? You see. That's why it's so important for us to believe, as believers to remember that our major source, in fact, our final source of responding to any moral dilemma is the Word of God. Not man, not a doctor, not a psychiatrist, but the Word of God. So, we will be looking at these things today. Your answer to the question as to who you are, who is man, what is a human being, could give you a meaningful, biblical, and practical answer to such a question as this. When or even should I pull the plug on a seriously ill person? You see, the question normally is when. Very few ask, should I? So it's assuming right away. See, that's it. It's a position taken almost immediately. Yes, there's a right to die. Is that right? Have you really asked that question and go to the Bible for an answer? The answer, I believe, lies in our understanding who is man. Not how sick we are or how terrible the suffering is, but what is man. Now, this, is, this series might be a little difficult for some because we're going to be thinking. Now, I don't mean that as a... But that's true. And we're going to use some words that perhaps you've heard but never really understood, and that's why I'm going to bring it, because I want you to understand what you hear. All right? So I want you to follow with me now. Some of you probably will get lost very quickly. I'm sorry about that, but this is an important issue for us to deal with. So I want to lay a foundation for this series of messages. I want us to step back, as it were, from looking at the pieces of the various social and moral puzzles and try to get an overall view of the finished product, a picture of what the pieces are to fit into. In other words, why the pieces make sense. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together? You throw it all over. See the kids throwing it all over the table. You look at that, good grief. All of them got the same color. You know? will never make sense. But then you get the picture on the box, right? And what do you do? You start it 
Because you have a guide, you can see the overall. That's what we must do. And that's what I'm going to do today before we're looking at the small pieces. Otherwise, we could get confused, you see. The who am I question actually arises in many issues that we face today. And especially for those of you who may be involved in the privilege, profession, and ministry of caring for hurting people, for sick people, for old people especially, and babies, it's very important for you to understand some of these things. And for instance, and remember, I'm laying a foundation for the entire series of messages now. So I'm going to sort of give you an overview of where I'm going. So take, for instance, the issue of abortion. Now, when last have you talked about abortion? When last have you been concerned about abortion? But yet many of you were fighting and arguing over Terry Shrivo. But yet right in the Bahamas, we have abortions taking place. Hundreds of abortions every year. Are you concerned? Not until somehow you find one case that is publicized, and then perhaps you get concerned. And then it's only while the media is on it. When the media gets off it, then we look for something else. But take them out of abortion. The big question here is what? Is a fetus human? When does it become human? When does the fetus have worth? That's the question. I'll get into this a little later, but I was reading, and I did a lot of research on this stuff. I was reading a Nobel Prize winner who's involved in this area. You know what he said? He said, a child should not be called a human being until they're two years after they're being, two, not years, two days after they're being born. No, no, two years after they're being born, then they can be called a human being. That didn't finish it now. This Nobel Prize winner, the people who have so much impact upon our lives, said that he believes anybody who's over 85 years has no worth to society anymore. So what he's proposing that between any time between a child is born or conceived up to two days after birth, that child could be killed and there's nothing wrong with it morally. Now listen to this one. After you pass 85... This is what they call what? The slippery slope. You see? After 85, you could pull the plug. You could give something. You don't got to pull no plug. Because they got nothing to contribute to society. And that's how they determine worth. How they contribute. Or a so-called quality of life. Now think about it too. Many of you, that's how you evaluate life. By its quality. Who gives you the right to determine quality of life? But that's what's happening today. Take the relevant and emerging issue of euthanasia. When does worth as a human being cease? See, this is the other end of the spectrum. Abortion asks, when does it begin? Euthanasia asks, when does it cease? And the same way you get all kinds of answers for abortion, we get all kinds of answers for euthanasia. That's why we have so much problems in the Tarashari case. Is this such a thing as the right to die? It's amazing about the Americans, our good friends. They have a constitution that guarantees what? A right to life. 
but they say nothing about the right to die. And now they're wondering if they should add that into the Constitution. A right to die. Is this such a thing? Oh, sure. The feminist movement would say, and ladies, I'm not attacking you, but this is facts. They would say, oh, yes, we have a right to our bodies. Our bodies belong to us. If I want to kill it, I could kill it. Is that right? If I want to use it as a vehicle to bring life into the world, I can. If I don't, I don't have to. They have a cartoon. See a lady driving in a car, and it says, this is my car. And she's throwing a baby out into the street, into the highway. Why? This is my car. If I want to throw you out of my car, I could throw you out of my car. See, that's what happens when you get to this idea that this body belongs to us. Now, they have that same choice, they say, when they go to abortion. This is my body. I can keep anyone I want in it, or I can take them out. Why? This is my car. This is my vehicle. That's the kind of mindset we're in. And my fear is that many Christians are going into that just because of the pervasiveness of the concept and the philosophy being presented. We don't think anymore. We only react. And we react according to the knowledge that we have. And most of the time, the knowledge on these things come from TV. Because very few Christians read their Bibles and study the Bibles about these things today. Get my tape. <laughs> Take the question of ecology. Big thing for us in the Bahamas. You hear about eco-tourism? Save the reefs. Save the trees. Save the fish. Save all these things. You get nothing going about saving people. Is man, in fact, are you more important than a dolphin? A parrot, a conch, a turtle, or a grouper, or even a dog? I want you to see what's happening. I, 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 I appreciate what the Humane Society is doing for animals. Please don't, don't get me wrong here. But they had a whole series of ads. Would you lock your child up in the car and leave him in the sun? Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. See, they're comparing now the dog to your child. The same value you put on your child, you should put on your dog. Now, again, I'm not devaluing what they're doing. But please, don't devalue humanity and human life by comparing it to a dog. In the United States, you could go to jail for taking the egg of a... Uh, Eagle. Just an egg now. Thing ain't even born yet. But yet, abortion is legal. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. In other words, ultimately, all of these current issues which are making such an important impact upon our society today, ask the same basic overall question. How is man, how are you different from other living things? In other words, is there a human difference? You see, that is what is at stake, our view of the human person. 
You must not forget this. And you consider all of these things as abortion, euthanasia, ecology, and, and reproductiveness. We're going to be talking about that and new ways of bringing children into the world, artificial insemination, and all of these different things. Cloning. What is at the core issue for the believer? Stem cell research. You say, these, don't, these things don't mean anything to me. Oh, yes, they do. All of these can impact your life in meaningful ways if you don't help to make the decisions that are going to happen, others are going to make it for you. Let me give you some examples here. Take the matter of abortion. Is a fetus just a cluster of cells, or as one Bahamian doctor stated in the interview, a parasite? Isn't that amazing? A Bahamian doctor. Now, came over the media... And he says, the fetus is a parasite. Now, I, I say, now, now this, we went to school together, you know, me and this doctor. I say, boy, I learned that in school. Generally, what is a parasite? Anybody know what a parasite is? He, I, 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 I sound like he's talking about it. Say again. Something that feeds off something else? Good. What else? But see, that's what the doctor thought. They saw this fetus feeding off his mother. But one of the things of a parasite, generally speaking, is it never feeds off themselves, of the same species. They always feed of another species. So here's a doctor making a foolish statement just to get a point across that he does not believe that the fetus is a living being, human being. Shows his stupidity rather than an intelligence. Well, let's go on. Is it significant if a fetus sucks its thumb at two or three months? What does personhood emerge if it isn't inherent within the fetus? See, that's the key word, inherent. If it isn't human when it comes into existence, what is it? And if it isn't, when does it pick it up? See, now that's where the problem comes. That's where the U.S. courts have a problem. When does it become a person we could charge, make sure they pay their taxes? That's right. That's the question. Take euthanasia. Now remember, we've given an overview. We'll begin talking about this tonight. When does death occur? How long should we treat a body? Now notice I said a body here with dignity. I didn't say a person. Now, am I making a distinction? Well, that's what you've got to think through. What is the distinction between a human being and a corpse? When I, were, when I was doing this, I came across, I mentioned this to you before, when I was a young fellow, we, they used to have the, the, the fish market and everything else, and they sell tur uh, um, turtles and all of those things, and they used to slaughter turtles. And one of the exciting things for me is to go down there and see turtles who had its head cut off walking all over the place. They cut the head of the turtle off, and the turtle is flapping all over the place. 
And the tourists once asked one of the guys, they said, man, what happened here? How come? What's wrong? The, the, the fisherman says, well, he dead, but he knew it. <laughs> was he dead? Was it dead? It was moving. The head is cut off. Is it living? In fact, was the head living? Do you know it's possible today for a body to be kept alive and the brain is dead? Do you also know that the reverse is possible? For the brain to be taken out of a body done properly and the brain could keep alive without a body? Now that poses some interesting questions, doesn't it? When does life end? Years ago, life ended when the heart stopped beating. You remember that? That ain't true no more. People's heart has stopped beating and they put this thing back and shock you back to life. Were they dead? The person who come back to life said, I wasn't dead. People say, no, no, they're, they're determining now that they, they, at least they were for a while, now they've got to change it. They, they said a person is dead when his brain is dead. Now the big question is, how much of the brain got to be dead? That's one of the big questions with Terry Schiavo. How much? A quarter? Half? Two-thirds? The same way it's possible for that turtle to be kicking over there with his head over here, it's possible for a human being to do the same thing. How do you determine these things? See, this isn't an easy question as you think it is. Take the idea of ecology. How do we determine man's place in the ecological cycle in Mother Nature? Is man qualitative or only quantitatively different from other things? Is a porpoise, a parrot, a dog, or a donkey just as valuable as a human being? Many people say that today. What is the name of that uh, worldwide um, uh, uh, movement in the States? Peter, Petro, what is it called? Peter, Peter. They believe animals are the same as human beings. In fact, now it's been demonstrated they believe animals are more important than human beings because they're willing to put human beings at stake in order to save animals. You see, if this is the case here, boy, you talk about being vegetarians, you better be. Not only that, you better don't kill any bugs. I, I am see, you see, this is where it goes if people would only think. Listen to this. John Lilly, a noted biologist, makes this observation. The day that communication is established, the dolphin becomes a legal, ethical, moral, and social problem. You see, whenever there is communication established between human beings and the dolphin, the dolphin would then be considered as being on the same level as a human being. Why? Because most of your biology books will tell you now that the only, one of the major differences between an animal and a human being is communication. But now when Marissa started to talk to those dolphins up there, and they started saying, mm, yeah, ma'am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, some of them are doing it right now. Not only that, some apes have passed that all along the way. I'm sure you all have seen the studies on those apes right now. Who can? They can even read. 
to show them a reading, they make signs to tell you I understand. What are they saying? They say more and more, we are no different. The human being is no different than a dolphin, a porpoise, or an ape. Well, they said that long ago. But you see, what is happening now, we're going into this slippery slope, as I like to call it, but Christians are not thinking about it. They don't see what is at stake. The very essence of humanity. Who are you? As a believer, not just as a human being, but as a believer, who are you? You are a person of worth, value, of significance. Why? Because God placed his love upon you and he loved you so much he saved you by sending his son to die for you. And then he said, I want you to be a plan. I want you to be a part of this fantastic plan of reaching the world and so on. You're a person of worth and a person of significance. But if you listen to what's going on, you ain't nothing. Nothing at all. And see, this philosophy is driving a lot of social programs, and you don't understand that. In the United States, reference to ecology and the value some people are now placing upon nature in relation to man. This, listen to what William Douglas, the former Supreme Court Justice, says. He said that the villainous itself could possibly have the right to sue for its preservation. In other words, you get a lawyer who going into the court and say, I represent Cabbage Beach. I represent Saunders Beach. It's eroding. A man is treating it, abusing it. And I represent Saunders Beach. I represent Cabbage Beach. And I'm going to sue you. I, you Christians, I know not of you, don't, you don't go to movies. You don't watch TV. I know most of you don't have TVs in home. But if you are to watch it, you go to some of these sci-fi uh, things now. Star Wars, even iRobot or whatever it is. You will see that robots are now being given billing on equal status with the human actors themselves. In Star Wars, who is it? I, what is your name? The little one. You know the little one. I2D, something like that. I2D. You, you see them? They get the names of the robot, robots right next to the actors themselves. You say, that's funny. No, it shows a philosophy. You understand what I'm saying? And that's only one part of the way that the movies get at us. And you sit there, and I sit there, and we look at it, and we laugh at it. But the teaching of philosophy... Seemingly unnoticed by many is the fact that what is at stake in all of this in the final analysis is who am I as a human being? Is there such a thing as a human difference? When a person can be fined or jailed for destroying the egg of a turtle or an eagle, but the abortion of a human fetus is made legal, one has to ask the question, not only what am I, but where, in fact, where am I in the world am I? Am I actually in the world created? By God? What is your worth? This is what is at stake. The question then is, will man as we know him to be, a person of value and worth, survive in our modern world and mindset? That's the big question. You might say, man, you're really exaggerating this. 
See, if you say that, I can say right now. I can be arrogant. You ain't thinking. You ain't looking at what's happening. This is the question. And oh yeah, you can leave it. Oh, that don't bother me. Oh yes, it's going to come home some way in one frame. Either when you go to the hospital for some treatment or whatever it is, going to come your way eventually. This leads us to the all-important matter of worldviews. You see, this is where thinking comes about. That's why I've been using that word. Worldviews. How many of you have heard worldviews? Good. You know what it means? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But there's a lot of different opinions on what is a worldview and so on. But I'm going to be very simple for us today because I'm a simple person. Our view of human nature depends upon our worldview. For our purposes, I'll define a worldview simply as the reason why we think what we think and do what we do. That's a worldview. The reason why I think what I think and do what I do. Now, of course, to think something, you've got to put it in here. Isn't that right? Hmm? So when I'm talking about when I think, I'm talking about all of the things you read, all of the things you see, all the decisions you make. You see, because when you act, you're putting them all together, and you say, based on all of this that I've had, I've understood, I've experienced, based on that, I'm behaving the way I am. Now that means if your worldview is messed up, your life is going to be messed up. The reason why we think what we think and do what we do. There are three major views, worldviews. There are many more, well, several others, but there are three overriding ones that I want to introduce you to, and we're going to be talking more about as we go. The first one is a theistic view. Well, the first one I want to deal with, because when you come right down to it, this is not the first one that is really adopted by most people today. In fact, it's probably the bottom line one by most people. The theistic view. This view says that man was created by a personal God in his own image, Imago Dei. Therefore, man is a physical, spiritual being, a physical, spiritual being. And because of that, he has dignity. And what gives him dignity? What gives him significance? What gives him worth? The fact is that he is made in the image of God. This is the difference between a human being and an animal, a dolphin and an eagle, being made in the image of God. And you must understand the significance. Dignity is the quality of being worthy of esteem or honor or worthiness. It refers to a proper pride and self-respect and is an important compartment of hu- component of human dignity. Now, when I talk about dignity, I'm not talking about this highfalutin thing, you know. Man come dressed up in three-piece suit with, and all that. And he's a dignified. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a dignity that comes from worth that is inherent. All right? Dignity is defined objectively. Something that we can measure, test, see by our nature, who we are. And is objectively revealed in the way we act. That's what constitutes a worldview. Remember we said a worldview is all we think 
and all we do, or the reason for what we do. Dignity is defined objectively by our nature, who we are. As a man thinks in his nature, so is he. My version. And it's subjectively, that is something that we do ourselves, revealed in the way we act. So my actions depends upon my view of who I am. That's why many Christians don't act Christ-like, because they don't know their position in Christ. They don't know their position in Christ. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I do all the bamba, but they don't realize the magnificent position we have in Christ, what it means to be a true child of God, what it means to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a priest in that kingdom. We respond to who we know we are are by the way we behave. That's right. That's why you see all these people you call bombs and drug guards and all of that. They don't think much about themselves. If they did, they wouldn't behave the way they do, generally speaking. We have a relationship to the Creator shared by no other creature because we are like Him. See, that's what it means to be made in the image of God, to show what God is like. This gives us a special standing in creation on the one hand, but it makes all people equal on the other. All people have that same standing before God. Whether you are a person in the womb, or you are a 99-year-old person in a hospital bed and cannot feed yourself. You are still a human being made in the image of God. And you just cannot be thrown away because we put a false qualitative value on that life. There's something called secular humanism. You've heard the word. But most of you can't even describe it. You say, boy, you're judging. Well, why you say, why I say that? By the way, you act. Because if you really understood what secular humanism is, you would not be doing a lot of the things you're doing right now. You would not be involved in a lot of things you're involved in right now, if you understood. And it's rampant in our schools. It's rampant in our medical field, in our legal field. It's rampant in the Bahamas. Listen to this quote by J.I. Packer. He talks about something about us that warrants our being treated with dignity and calls for us to act dignified. In other words, as people made in the image of God. Listen to what he says. That something is the imago dei, the image of God, which is ours by virtue of creation. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my trend here. The thing that makes us different from animals is the fact that we are made in the image of God. That's what separates us. That's what I'm saying. I got ahead of myself a little bit. Here's Paca. To be valued for oneself as a person is humanizing. Why? It ennobles ennobles. It causes us to be ennobled. But to be valued only as a hand or a means or a tool of a cog in a wheel or a convenience to someone else is dehumanizing and it depresses. Secular humanism 
though claiming vast wisdom and life-enhancing skills, actually diminishes the individual who is left in old age without dignity. Why? Because his or her social usefulness is finished. And without hope, because there's nothing now to look forward to after you pass that age of usefulness. You see, that's the philosophy, that's the worldview of a secular humanist. And that's what you will see reflected in many of the hospitals. You see, man was created for a purpose, to glorify God by showing what he is like, especially morally. He is therefore a person of significance. If you don't remember anything else today from this message, remember that. Because you were created in the image of God, you are a person of significance. Whether you are sick or well. Whether you're young or old. You're a person of significance. But thirdly, man, we, we you are infi- infinite worth to your creator. Worth is absolute and inherent. I am conceived with that worthiness in me, in you. Whether you're born in a palace or out in the street on the side of the road, you were born a person of worth and significance because you were created in the image of God. We don't gradually become human or progress toward humanists. That's what the secular humanists say. You become human over a period of time, two days after you're born. Friends, the Bible teaches we are conceived as a human being, and a human being of significance and worth at the moment we are conceived. We must therefore regard and treat one another accordingly. You see, if we really believe this, we will treat those people that we don't think too much of differently. What would happen if all of a sudden we started to look at everybody the way God looks at them as far as they're worth? It'll transform our lives. But now I want you to put this in the context of our discussion when it comes to euthanasia. Old person, feeble, can't work, don't have any hopes of doing anything else. Only lying in the bed. She needs somebody to feed her. Oh, He has no quality of life. Therefore, let's throw it in the garbage. My friends, that person who might not even be able to recognize you, that person is made in the image of God. She might not be able to care for herself. She's made in the image of God just like you. And perhaps God created you, made you to have that relationship with that person just so you could care for her as a person who is made in his image. Man is a fellow creature of God's creation, but is qualitatively different from all other living creatures. Now, by qualitatively, I mean in essence. I mean in nature. We're different from our creation. 
God is apart from his creation. God is not a man in the sense that we are. You can know that Jesus Christ, of course, became the God-man. But I'm talking about nature. We can see another worldview. Here's a summary then so far. This long-held view, what we call theistic worldview, which is the basis for most of what we experience in, in this part of the world, is now being challenged by contrasting views in our present Bahamian society as well as worldwide. In other words, this worldview just we looked at is being discarded. And there are a couple others. I'll be quick. We'll pick up some more of it tonight. There's what is called the pantheistic view. I must say, you knew these words. I hope you could understand now and see the, the import they have on how people behave. See, that's what I'm trying to show you. What we think determines how we behave. All right? This is the worldview of much of the East. But since the 60s, has always been invading our area of the world in very subtle ways. For instance, the New Age movement and so on, which is also prevalent here. We don't call it by thy name, but the action is it. The, the behavior and the attitudes are here at all times. Most of our people who've gone away to study in the past two or three decades, they come back with these kinds of worldviews. That's why we're having problems, you see. They come back with these worldviews. This pantheistic view does not emphasize distinctions in life, only unity. God is all. God is everyone. God is everything. Now, this is one. It reminds me of one time that I was um, preaching in the specific garden mission in Chicago. And afterwards, this man came up to me, and he was... Now, boy, with some boy, as one time I didn't want to regard a human being as a human being was then. This man was stink. You know, I mean, as soon as he come, his stench pushed you away. But I went up to him, and I put my arms around him, sat down, and he should. He came up, said, because we heard the gospel, he, and he wants to know more about it. He was of Eastern background. And as we were talking, a roach started to run across the floor. And of course, me being a good Bahamian, I went on to stamp on it. You know, he said, no, 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 he said, don't do that. That could be my ancestor. That's his pantheistic view. You see? Now, we joke about that, but people believe that. And their lifestyle, the way they behave, the things they do, are based on that belief. He was being a good pantheistic person. He's following through with his belief. This view plays down the physical, claiming that it's simply an illusion. Everything else is, is really a spiritual thing. We just sort of, everything sort of finally goes to karma. Well, I won't get into all that tonight. We'll go into it later on. This view says we must not seek to find our personal identity, but to lose or absorb it in the universal or, or cosmic oneness or consciousness. That's what's happening over on Paradise Island. That's what they teach over there in that yoga school. That's what the mantra is all about. Yeah? It's amazing how people are, get, people are getting sucked into this yoga thing, saying it's health and all that kind of a stuff. It's amazing how people are being fooled because they don't think and they don't follow their worldview correctly. Dissolution of personality is the ultimate end. We're just going to fade into it. We are simply a part of everything. 
We have no individual worth of value. This reminds me when one of our politicians died, a well-known actor came out here to give his, his, uh, his eulogy of this person in the cathedral. I'm not going to call names. You probably know. Outstanding actor. Bahamian. <laughs> and he says, when this brother died, he says, he isn't dead. So he's just gone to be a part of the millions of the stars and the planets you see around there. He's gone to be enve enveloped in the cosmos. And everybody applauded. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. That's a worldview. And he's living out his worldview. Summary then, this view of man sees all things as equal. This is where the eco, the eco movement takes the position. You better don't cut down a, 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 a rare tree. They'll cut you down. Now, assuming that some of the things they're doing is not done, good mind you, please don't say that. But this is where the thinking leads them. This is what we call the slippery slope. We'll talk about that more in the series. Now, the question is here now. These are two implications of our view of human nature. How I view myself. Upon what do I base my self-worth? The theistic view says I have infinite value. God entered the human sphere to redeem man at great expense, his own death on the cross. My value is not arbitrary. It is inherent in what I am. And I am a being created in the image of God. That's a theistic view. The pantheistic view says, my value is not anything greater than other things. I am just like the least of anything. A bug, an insect. All life is sacred. Hence, killing an animal for food is murder. That's the pantheistic view. The humanistic says, human value is arbitrary and subjective. Since there's no objective or transcendent source of value, which they, in other words, they deny the scriptures, all value is assigned by others, just like myself. In other words, now I am God. All of my values are assigned by myself, my peers, based on certain criteria that we set up. So they've done away with the God of the Bible and they put themselves in place of God. Physical. This is how it impacts me in three different areas, physical and spiritual and social. Francis Crick, he's another one of the leading persons here, has advocated that newborn babies not be declared legally alive until after two days, I mentioned it before, when they have been certified as healthy by medical examiners. In other words, they must meet certain physical criteria. This provides the basis for legalized abortion. It's a view of the human being. Secondly, Economical value is derived by the person's contribution to society. By the way, I put in here, Hitler decided to get rid of useless eaters. In other words, why have people eat my food who can't give me nothing back? If they can't contribute, I ain't gonna give them no food. And so let's get rid of them. Some say today abortion is better than social welfare, which strains our resources. This provides a basis for euthanasia, for killing the old people. Mental, Wilson Duke, a nuclear physicist, says the philosophy of reason will define a human being as life which demonstrates self-awareness, volition, and rationality. Thus, it should be recognized that not all men are human, he says. 
It would seem to be more inhumane to kill an adult chimpanzee than a newborn baby. Why? The chimpanzee has a greater mental awareness. Now, you're surprised at this, but these are the people who determine what happens in our hospitals. These people who think along these lines. And we allow them to do it. Social and cultural. Ashley Montague, a British anthropologist, believes that a baby is not born human. Instead, it is to be born more or less with a capacity for becoming human as he or she is modeled by, molded by social and cultural influences. Human worth is not an endowment, but an accomplishment. See, the, I'm trying to show you, these are the kinds of thoughts. This is the worldview that determines what people do. And a lot of these things that these people do are impacting your life and my life. How do I treat other beings? Depending on my view. The theistic view, other men are not something to be used as a means. Man is viewed as unique. Man is qualitatively different from animals. We use them. Animals not exploit or abuse them, but as a means. Our treatment is based on the qualitative difference. We are made in the image of God. They are not. Pantheistic. How do we treat others? Others are viewed indifferently, almost in a fatalistic sense. This worldview by its very nature cannot be the stimulus for social good because good does not exist.